Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Bitcoin podcast, part of the flagship Bitcoin podcast network. Home of such shows as State Change with Arthur Falls, Mm-mm. Block Channel with Stephen Mackey. No more State oh, that's Change. Right. That's right. We're, we're talking about the Ether Review. No more State Change. That's right. Uh, on Rapping with D, not another Bitcoin podcast. Uh, the ever-growing, ever-evolving Bitcoin podcast network. And then this is uh, the Bitcoin podcast episode number 140. I'm your first host, Marcello. I'm host number three, Corey. D is out sick because he works too hard. He blames it on a baby, but it's not a baby. He just works too hard. Yeah. Um, he's been uh, burning both ends of the stick, so he needs he needs a week off. And frankly, uh, you know, we've been uh, enthralled in this Bitcoin debate for a while, so maybe he's exhausted about that too. But before we get into that, there's something that I want to talk about, and that is the Mayweather – McGregor fight because <laughs> All right. McGregor has opened up as the underdog, which means the Vegas odds are in Mayweather's favor. So if you want to get on that action and turn your Bitcoin into multiple Bitcoins, you need to do what our friend Ken Bozak's doing, and he's going to bet on McGregor. And how do you do that? You go to BetKing, the most trusted dice site with the highest betting limits. The only place where over 360 million bets have occurred, over 7,400 Bitcoins investors have profited, and a total of 400,000 Bitcoins wagered. So look, guys, it feels fun to be a high roller for once, and that's why we're talking about this. And it only gets better because of the upcoming relaunch, they're going to kick off with an ICO. And I know how we all feel about ICOs, but they're actually going to take that money used for the site, and they're going to bankroll it into promos, design. Basically, it's just going to make it a more comfortable easier, and all-around better experience. BetKing has made a profit of nearly 7,400 Bitcoins with just one simple game and minimal marketing. So it's just going to get better. So to learn more, go to BetKing. Head on over to BetKing.io. Subscribe to the newsletter. Get the latest news. Become a millionaire. Bet against McGregor. Why not? It's also a great way to get on their ICO where all funds will be held in cold storage. Uh, We're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin, which again, our friend uh, Ken Bozak had a first-hand experience this week with their awesome customer service or lack of, you know, the story behind that. Not particularly. He went, he took a bus all the way out to Philadelphia and it was out of order, but they had good customer service and they, they helped them out. I think Bitcoin has three new Philadelphia Bitcoin ATMs. They've just been installed. They take Litecoin. It's a good time to use it. So we're brought to you by them. It's the most trusted name in Bitcoin ATMs. 
located in Houston, Fort Worth, Dallas, a bunch of cities all around the U.S. Uh, for specific locations, more information, visit AthenaBitcoin.com. We're also brought to you by Athena Bitcoin's portfolio company, BitQuick.co, with a secure, quick, and easy peer-to-peer Bitcoin marketplace where you can get Bitcoin for cash in as little as three hours. BitQuick has been serving Bitcoin since 2013. Where there's a bank, there's BitQuick. Baller. That's it for the ads. Now we can talk about uh, you know the stuff that's been going on this week. Do you know about uh, the ICO that lost a bunch of money, Coindash? You know what happened? Yeah, there? I uh, I Here. appeared on uh, Ken's show this week and we talked about it. And nice. I said that uh, Coin Dash was an appropriate name because they they dashed for your coin. And you know I how, do you know how they did chat. it? <laughs> um, Someone. Well, it was a it was a startup that, that then they take advantage of their ICO. Like it, it wasn't as secure as it should have been. So this is basically like. In order to do an ICO, if those who aren't aware, I'll just I'll start from the beginning. You need to tell people where to send their funds. Say you're doing an ICO oh. on Ethereum and you want to sell some type of token for in exchange for Ether. Then you have to tell somebody where they what smart contract or what address to send money to in exchange for these tokens. That usually refers to some smart contracts so that you just automatically get the tokens based on when you do it, so on and so forth, whatever. But in order to give people this information, they need to have a very official source on where to go. Because so, if someone else says, you know, yeah, we're doing the ICO, send it to us. They can just take your money and run. So people usually will say, only get the contract address or the address to send funds to from our official sources like our Medium blog maybe or our website that has SSL certificates or our Slack channel in the announcements episode given by this particular person, etc. So you need to have some type of official announcement place to do this type of stuff and they started their ico they were making money people were doing it like like every other ico was happening but somebody in the process of this ico got a hold of their website and simply changed the address so the people who were going to the website the official website to get the address to participate in the ico were getting the wrong address because some because some hacker hacked in and changed it nothing else and so for a while, the money just was, wasn't going to the contract. It was going to somebody because they thought they were participating because they went to the official source and the, and the address is wrong. So pretty, really simple. Not like hacking websites is done a lot, especially if you don't have proper administration or security implementation around how you build your website. And it, it's like there's nothing crazy about how this happened. It's, it's literally just that's what happened. Luckily, I, I, I kind of like the fact that CoinDash is like, all right, well, we can see all the transactions that went to this asshole. We'll still make the people whole by giving them the tokens they would have gotten had they given us money. But that sucks. I just wanted to like well, point out it's another, like I wouldn't call it a flaw, but another security issue that these people are facing or when facing when doing this type of stuff is that if people can change the information on what's official – they can they can run off with a lot of money, especially if the people who are investing in it aren't that educated. Yeah, and isn't it crazy that because this is so new and the law doesn't know how to handle it, instead of them labeling it a straight theft, they're thinking well, they're considering it more of a security issue and they're calling it a scam versus a straight up theft. So 
there's no jurisdiction and nobody can be held liable because it's first off they were in Silicon Valley and the laws are different and because it's so new that people don't know how to react to it. Why would they call it a scam? Who is the scammer? Well, they were saying that uh, they, were, they were originally in Las Vegas, and if they were in Las Vegas, um, the laws are different. But because they came out of Silicon Valley and they don't have hack laws out there, they label it a scam. And you know, whoever got away with it, they they just chalk it up to a security issue. Interesting. No, it is a security Very issue. It's like it's 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 definitely not. Like, they were hacked. The website was hacked, or someone from the inside changed it and didn't tell anybody. Like there's there's definitely potential of an insider, this being an insider job. I'm not saying it is, but like there's a lot of potential around those types of things. And that like brought me to the idea of like, there's like, it doesn't make sense for these companies who are doing ICOs to not, especially if they know that there's a certain amount of hype around them, their particular platform, and they know they're going to be somewhat successful, millions of dollars. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever for the people who are doing these things, the developers, to not also participate in their own ICOs. Mm-hmm. So, or like I haven't looked into this. It'd be interesting to see, like, if some of these things that are, have like the long form participation, we can like you can invest over like a, a week or two, if the money that's being invested into the platform isn't simultaneously being used to invest in the platform. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, I'm trying to follow. Like say, like, like you imagine a pool of people throwing money into. If the people who own that pool aren't just taking money out and throwing it back in to make it look like more is being thrown in. To, like to get more tokens associated with an address. Because I can just like, I can keep essentially calling that function, sending money to it and getting more tokens. It's kind of artificially inflating my amount. Wait, so you could, you could create fake copies of a website to trick you into giving them control and it doesn't even require any hacking. So any, any DNS that changes the URL pointer of a website domain is 100% liable for all damages. You could just... Isn't that like social engineering? Just, just You know what I mean? It's, yeah. not, it's not a hacker. 99.9% chance it wasn't a hacker. It was just an inside job. Because what I've been reading is the address shown on the website just changed. And yep. it was the only way to do that is if you have admin privileges. Yep. Oh, there's, there's ways of getting admin privileges that aren't necessarily like from the inside. If, if your yeah. site is not secure, you can change, you can change your website. And there are security practices on how you be a proper administrator so that people outside of yourself can't change things. They may have not done that. I'm oh. not, I'm not going to point the blame there. Like I, but trust me, there are plenty of ways to change things if you don't have good administration of your website. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, I know it's, what I was saying earlier is like, I don't, I, I don't like the fact that a lot of these, these ICOs are, portioning out a, a heavy, a hefty percentage of the total amount of tokens to the developers. There's no reason they should be kind of getting double dipped. Why don't they just participate in their own ICO? Yeah. Or just use the money. They don't need tokens. They just need money. They just I, made a shitload just, of money. I want this whole, <laughs> yeah, I want this whole ICO stuff to just go oh, away. It's not going away. This is a, this needs, is a, yeah. a good way. It's, it's, it's a legitimate use case, right? It's like, 
decentralized crowdfunding, enabling people to invest into a platform from all over the world without permission is a good use case for cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And if I can if I can source money from around the world to anyone who's interested without having to go through, you know, traditional VC asking permission, then that's beneficial to me as a person who wants to raise money. The problem is it's irrational hype and best practices around doing it. Like we're still really novel or novices about doing this type of stuff. And people think they're going to make a ton of money. And so they're just throwing dumb money at all the things and hoping something sticks. That's not good. But you can't say like the the hammer's bad because people are bashing people's heads in it, head with it. Like hammer's a good tool. That use case or like the proper proper use of it is bad. Yeah. And also the fact that every private and public key is going to be managed by the project hosts. I mean, one ha- one hacker or disgruntled employee could take everybody's money the way it's designed right now. Well, multi-sig, multi-sig accounts account for that. That's the point yeah. of using a multi-sig so that you don't have centralized risk with managing a, a, a set of funds. You, have, you, you need multiple keys to unlock the access to those funds. So if they're not using a multi-sig, then shame on them. They deserve it. The technology is there. Is Bancor, are they using multi-sig? Yeah. As far as I know, where they set the funds to a multi-sig, like I mean, basically smart contracts are can be set up to be really good multi-sigs. And any of these ICOs that have any good smart contract that's been audited and vetted is being made sure that they're 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 utilizing that feature of a smart contract. So, would you say that I guess the people we're interviewing today they they're kind of doing it right? I like the idea of what they were doing. I never looked at their smart contracts, so I, I can't say, I can't attest to the security of what they're doing. But I like the problem they're trying to solve. I thought that was cool. That's I, in my personal yeah. opinion, I'm only interested really in problems that people are solving and how they leverage this technology to, that they think is going to make them solve that problem in an easier way. So, like talking to the people and going through their picking their brain on what they think they're doing and why they think this technology is good for doing it. Well, I think everyone who has a cell phone bill has one thing to bitch about, so I like them. We can get into it if you want. Yeah, let's do that. All right, so Dent is uh, who we're talking to today. They're led by an experienced team of specialists, including DoveCot co-founder Miko Lenamaki. And if you're unfamiliar with Dent, Dent Wireless Limited, uh, they announced its intent to disrupt the world's telco market by creating the first mobile data exchange. And uh, I do want to mention that this is going to be probably our last ICO-centered episode, and we're probably going to get more into interviews that have to do with the community, but we felt like this was a pretty interesting topic to kind of go out on. It's a it's a, it's you, a topic yeah. we haven't covered yet, or like a like a, a part of the industry that we haven't looked at yet, which is like telco. Like who, who's looked at that? So yeah, so uh, here it is. Here it is. I'll fill in D's roll. <laughs> All right, joining us today on the show is uh, Miko Lenomaki, who's the co-founder of Dent. And the best way I can explain Dent is this: it's it's a universal currency 
for mobile data between you, the customer, and telco providers. So what this means is you're no longer subject to a single provider. You pay as you go. And the best part is you only pay for what you use. So you always pay the best price available. And this is directed by market supply and demand, and you never have to think about borders again. Uh, so again, we have the co-founder of Dent. And my first question is, you know, all the way back from, you know, 1994, there's just, there's decades and decades of experience. So I was kind of curious if you could tell me a little bit about your journey uh, and how your career path kind of came to where, where it is now. Right. So if we, if we go back to, to the mid nineties, um, the internet was just a baby and just very insider thing, very much like the crypto world is right now uh, in its uh, infant infancy. Um, so, a friend of mine came came from California to Germany and and uh, had a sun machine with him and and it was kind of kind of exci- exciting for us to see you know the new possibilities and and then at that moment I I realized that hey I need to get to get to do internet software and um, we founded um, one of the first content management companies here uh, in Europe and uh, um, when I remember the beginnings Germany had only 50 websites. 49 universities and then the news magazine Der Spiegel and it was really really early but everybody understood that that this trend you know internet will will change the way that people communicate and uh, we were very much at, at the front and uh, got very successful and brought all the all the big players here um, here in, in especially in the German market but also outside like CNN was was a customer of ours uh, here in Europe, and um, so that was that was the beginning, and and you know the the love for the internet business has been has been uh, growing ever since. Uh, we sold that company then in two thousand and one, and then I founded uh, a travel booking company. Uh, we saw nineteen ninety nine. We saw that hey, there's no way that people can book flights; they can only look, and then they have to call the agent because there were no travel gateways. And uh, we created one and then launched that um, to the market. And Expedia was one of our first customers because they didn't have a booking gateway, gateway at that time. Then we sold that uh, one, one year after founding it. Um, so it was, a, let's say, the very positive side of the bubble, what, what was uh, you know, happening in the 2000s. And then, um, then we created a, a mobile messaging company, which we pivoted then to a mobile apps company where we disrupted the apps business. Um, uh, that was a very interesting story. Let's say when iPhone came 2008, uh, everybody wanted to do apps. And uh, we realized that, hey, actually the radio streaming is a quite good market uh, where radio stations wanted to extend their reach to the mobile phones. Uh, and uh, the problem with that market was that the uh, radio station had to contract many different developers because there were no universal platforms at that time. When we talked 2008 and nine, you know, Android just came, iPhone just came, Nokia was the leader, BlackBerry was very strong. And um, what we did, we did a white label platform and said, hey, instead of radio playing 20 grand for each app on all these platforms, so over $100,000, we give it to, to you for $500. Uh, and then we put advertising in it, and, and we got very successful. We got over 1,600 apps in the app stores, totally dominating 
uh, the the European uh, music categories of iTunes. I think eighty percent was the apps that we made. Then we sold that company, and and then uh, I was wondering, okay, I've been doing mobile uh, a long time, and uh, what should I do next? And then a friend of mine from Finland, where where I come from too. He said, hey, here's, here's an open source project uh, called Dovegut. And, and the guys that had, had been doing that, they were kind of struggling because there was no real business model. And, and, um, but the product was great, they say. And uh, Dovegut is an IMAP server. So, you know, when you set up your iPhone to, to receive emails, you mm-hmm. mostly, use, mostly use IMAP. And um, I said, hey, come on, uh, I'm not going back to email. It's uh, kind of old-fashioned. Uh, because I was I was doing uh, mobile apps and and then uh, he called again and said, "Yeah, but can't you be, please uh, at least have a call with them that they tell you you know what this is all about?" And, and I said, "Sure, uh, okay, yeah, I'll do that." And then when I when I talked to the guy uh, Timo Sirainen, who who is the creator of Davgat, he had been doing that basically as a as a one man show um, for for almost. Yeah, he started 2001, so so it was over 10 years already. But he told us that that yeah, it's been used by every service provider that you can think of. Um, and I called 10 European service providers, you know, ISPs and big telcos, and they all told that this is the best software ever. Everybody's using that because it's the most scalable uh, IMAP platform. And and then I said, okay, I'll, I'm in, I'm in, I'm coming in, <laughs> and uh, I got some some equity and and created a professional licensing model for them. And, uh, uh, you know, we got then our act together and we started winning the big, big time telcos, uh, a French operator with 30 million users, uh, a German operator with 50 million users is using an American uh, service provider, a cable provider with 30 million users, uh, users is using that. And then we merged two years after we merged with an, with another company. And now that company, um, has has 240 employees and uh, and doing really well. So these are the uh, typical things that I do. And the interesting thing about Dovegut is that we were on a market where we had to fight against big players. And um, partially uh, uh, that was Microsoft. Of course, they they had their their own uh, Microsoft Exchange and their email email um, departures going to the businesses. And uh, but they were not very strong in ISP or free mail, um, except Hotmail, of course. But then uh, also Google was in that market. But we we managed to grow our market share on the IMAP since 2014 till 2017 now from 49% to 72%. <clears throat> so, so, so today it's easy to measure because you can, you can measure IMAP servers by sending, sending commands uh, to all the IP addresses of the world and ask, are you an IMAP server? And if it is, then it will tell you I'm Dovegut or I'm Cyrus or whatever. Right. So, so we you, totally, yeah. So you've, you've kind of given us like a, a timeline of, of kind of where you started and where we are today. And I know we've been on a, a 4G network for a long time. And I, I wasn't sure, is 5G around the corner? And, and what does that mean for, I, I guess, your future of tech and mobile data exchanges? Yeah. I'm getting a little bit uh, coming from the back because I want you to understand where we come from and how we think. 
Absolutely. So, so, so I think that's very helpful because otherwise people might say, okay, where, where did that guy come from? This is a pretty big, big uh, story. So in the end, um, uh, now, now having that platform um, with with seventy two percent of world's email, that's about two point five billion people using using that mail. If you calculate from all mailboxes and then take that to um, into account that percentage, and there are four million servers running running Dovecut out there, and it's growing about six percent market share, uh, absolute market share per year still. I think it will stop. Stop growing that fast uh, when you get to the let's say 85 percent, because then the the rest of the market participants are so small. So having said that, um, last year uh, in the summer I, I started to think, okay, what's the next big thing? Um, um, and I, I started to look at blockchain and, and went in and out and of my with my interest and I didn't find Bitcoin really attractive at that time. Uh, not not being a, a let's say a currency speculator or a cryptocurrency speculator myself. I'm a software guy. I, I want to build companies with great software and services. But then, then we said uh, uh, that um, why don't we why don't we look at the telco space because there's so much wrong in that, and and um, and that's how how the idea for for Dent Wireless came that uh, the telcos are treating the users pretty badly. You know, a um, few, few examples. Um, if you have a data plan which is not which is not unlimited, and you buy like a 10 gig and pay 80 dollars for it, in the end of the month they uh, they cut you off from it, um, and you lose the three four gigabytes that you didn't use, but you paid for it. The other thing is, Andy, our co-founder, um, went to Australia with a German SIM card, uh, and in Australia, when he landed, there, he got the, got a message, an SMS, uh, saying that, "Hey, now you are in Australia. You can roam for twenty-five dollars uh, per megabyte, and if you calculate, if you do the math, then it's twenty-five thousand dollars per gigabyte, which actually has a market value, real market value of let's say ten bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we said, hey, that cannot be true. That." Uh, uh, that there are such a huge margins on something that has actually no cost. And if we look at the roaming, that's very interesting. When you roam from, you, you go from New York to Australia, uh, Sydney, Australia, what the telcos do it is that once you land to the second telco in Australia, let's say Telstra, they will then and, and you serve the internet there, and they will then route you back to New York first, because your home carrier wants you to, to have control what you do, and then they charge these extraordinary features uh, uh, fees. And that's that's something that that cannot be in in in, uh, in the world today. That that somebody can can just be that outrageous. That doesn't work. So there's and there's certainly an they, asymmetry here that you've you're, you've kind of led to. And I'm I'm quite curious, like how does how does blockchain fit into this? Why do you need it to solve this problem? Yeah, so so then we were were thinking, okay, there are a few things. Okay, there's the data expiry, which which is uh, uh, making billions of dollars of profits for the telcos, and you know the users are paying it. And then we have this roaming, 
And then there are other, other things that come to it. And we came to the conclusion that the only thing to really disrupt this market is to take the operators out of the silos. You know, the, the situation is that every country in the world has like four or five uh, mobile operators, and they all act like they would be monopolies. Mm-hmm. And the, the poor, poor user is suffering from suffering from, from that behavior. Uh, you know, the prices are high, artificially roaming is high, bad service, bad, bad connectivity. So we, we, we thought that, okay, the only way that we can do it is that the third party is coming, which is making a marketplace and uh, uh, releasing this um, commodity to be free for everyone. And, um, and the only way that you can do is, is to bring in a currency. And now we come, come to, to Ethereum and, and, and blockchain, that here we have a chance to create a token that will be the currency. So, so, so that's why we chose um, to take, take the route um, to build the software on, on blockchain. I see how how the kind of the aspect of a worldwide currency that's that's you know backed by blockchain like Ethereum fits into an ideal model of how this could work for the end user. But I, I, I feel like there's a there's going to be a drastic pushback from these giant telco companies because they're still making a lot of money. How do you how do you onboard them? How do you get them to participate in this? Well actually if you look what what the de- developments are in the in telco industry, you know there are a few few very interesting developments coming. First, um, the eSIM. Um, you know that Apple and uh, Google are working very hard to take the power away from the telcos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in UK you can buy buy a, a device with an Apple SIM, and you can change you can change your operator as you want to. So Apple has the control. It's an it's the SIM is basically a software, and now they had a big pushback, and I think Apple made a patent of that in 2011, and they of course got very much pushback. But now the telcos are also realizing that actually locking people in with force it not is not a very attractive business model. Then you look at the, what, what Google is doing with the Google Fi. They want to get uh, rid of the telephone in, uh, completely. Mm-hmm. They say that we are, we are going to the phoneless world. world. So that's also a threat. Uh, and our position is, is that, okay, we, we, we are in the mission of, for the user, but we are also mission for the telcos. We want this market to be liberated because there's, there's such a demand and uh, need for them to operate in a different way. But sure, sure. Uh, uh, um, the telcos will push back as hard as they can, but but as we see already when we talk to the talk to the telcos, um, there are some that see this actually as an advantage, competitive advantage against the others. We call these telcos that that are probably the first line uh, working with us. These are the attack telcos. They are the underdogs who are who are uh, who want to get get power away from the big guys. But, um, but like, like I said, that's why I explained about the past, um, having, having fought against Microsoft, having fought against Google in, in the email space, this is not, no different. And, um, 
the part how we want to bring this bring this service to to uh, their attention is quite interesting. Do you know uh, what do you think? What is the most valuable asset that uh, Telco has? The network, the underlying infrastructure. Well, it's certainly let's say a, a, a big cost, but the most value is the user. I mean, it's you. And um, I know because I've been working working so many years uh, with telcos that the most horrible scenario is that people are leaving them and going somewhere else. Well, I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a potential I guess example of that. I switched from the telco to Google Fi because it's it's just mainly a better option for me and it's better service and better, exactly the way I want to do things. And there you go. And I see that what the type of service you're trying to provide is a similar thing, but allows, I guess, for this, I guess, new term that keeps popping up, coopetition, where companies can almost work together but still operate in a different, differentiating way. Exactly, and um, and this change, what is what is happening happening all uh, all over the planet, uh, you know, the the freedom of choice. Uh, uh, these many startups. Uh, have liberated their markets, you know, if it's Airbnb for hotels or Uber for taxis or whatever, uh, you know, people thought they were crazy too. But, but in the end, the old uh, old monoliths have to have to either adapt or die. And I personally can can tell you uh, as a, as a Finn, you know, our pride, proud and joy, and 25% of the Finnish GDP was Nokia. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, they were still strong. And they were laughing when Apple came with one model. Uh, the stupid managers were laughing. We have 53 models. No, uh, Apple has only one. <laughs> Nobody can beat us. And, and uh, what happened almost two, three years after that, the whole phone business collapsed. Arrogance is not a very good business attitude because the customers want service. So, so what... Uh, coming back to the the, uh, the value, what is the most valuable asset? The, mo- the most valuable asset is you, because you generate four hundred and sixty dollars revenue for them in uh, uh, in a contract term. You going away to Google Fi hurts them bad time. Think about if it's then if it's then um, half a million users, or let's say it's two million. Two million users that want to change because the service is bad and, and the roaming is expensive and and um, bad bandwidth. Two million users have a buying power of nine hundred and twenty million dollars. So that's why we said, okay, let's bring this bring this product. We need faces because you know going outright outright to the telco and and uh, you know they might not listen to you. But we go first the route. To the, to the consumers, we say that, hey, join Dent. Uh, Dent is a movement to improve and liberate the telco, uh, telco domination. Um, we will uh, push the app in fourth quarter of this, this year out and uh, use the Dent coins um, that we have in the company. We have quite a, quite a lot uh, in reserve. We'll use that as an incentive um, for the users to join the movement. And while they join the movement, we will then have a worldwide map with, with you know, in this uh, Italian operator, we will have have 700,000 users. In in uh, in American, we might have have let's say three million users, and 
once we have all these, then we start negotiating with them. And we say, okay, um, look, Telgo, um, we have here a, a group of people that have great interest for you to improve. They have these, these things that they want to, want to be fair. They want to be able to, to give the data package uh, to another person if they want. They want, they, they want to be able to sell it because they already paid it. Um, and if the operator doesn't listen, then I'm sure that the competitor would be happy to get, get that, that many new users. So, so the nightmare, nightmare might become true that, that there will be a movement of users switching to a friendly operator. And, uh, and that's, the first, that's the first thing. At the same time, we, of course, negotiate with the telcos. We create APIs uh, so that it's easy for them. And now we come to the telco benefits. A telco, when they liberate their data uh, to be traded, just like any other commodity, um, they will benefit from, from a bigger market from easier buy. You know, why, why is Amazon so successful? Because they made buying easy. They, did, they don't manufacture all the product that they sell, mm -hmm. but they made the, made the experience very easy. So we want the user to be able to, not, not having to buy uh, 20 gigs in the, in the beginning of the month, we want the app on the phone to, uh, to be intelligent and then get all the, always the best price and the, the best uh, package that the user needs. Well, the second, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. And and and, and there's another aspect which which uh, is very important for the future. If you talk about IoT, there will be billions of devices and uh, coming to the market, all kinds of kinds of uh, factories and and uh, cars and which which have SIM cards. Nobody is running around anymore and changing those stupid plastic SIM cards. <laughs> They have to be intelligent enough to see, oh, I'm a car navigation. I'm running out of, out of steam. I need to buy another 100 megabyte and, and, and it has to be automated and regardless where I am. That's why you need a marketplace. That's, and that's, that, that's our, our, our big picture here. Oh, and, and you're and, creating this worldwide marketplace on the Ethereum blockchain to, sign, to sell and buy mobile data with Dent tokens, but my only concern was is the minimum buy-in for the ICO. I, I read that it was like twenty ether, and not many working-class people have that kind of money. But I'm I'm gathering that the pre-sale is designed for parties with prior crypto experience, correct? Right. So so the the um, pre-sale phase is uh, over since yesterday. We have started the ICO today, where you can invest or, or buy buy dent tokens for any amount. You know, you can oh, great. Put, yeah, so it, it just started and uh, it's running pretty well. We are happy. And how did the tokens work specifically? Um, what, what do you mean how they work? Like so, like uh, outside of being a a base currency, is there a is there a utility to the token that the, that the user can understand? Like maybe yeah, like sure. a go ahead. Yeah, sure. So so uh, first of all, that is the currency to buy data and. Uh, the moment that we that we uh, launch our first carriers, people can spend spend those uh, tokens for data packages. Um, and it, and the second thing is, of course, in in the time when we start, they can become uh, once they own at least one dent, they can be part of the movement and and, and create this change on the market. So so uh, owning the currency of a future market where where mobile data. Uh, 
uh, is traded is quite attractive. I see. I'm looking at the online view of the app, and it kind of it just kind of shows how the user might might end up walking through and donating parts of their data package to others. How, how exactly does this marketplace work? Yeah, so people always ask us, you know, having done this, this ICO is a, is a huge experience. Um, that's the first ICO that we, we have made. And I think uh, most of the people that do ICOs have not done two. <laughs> they are probably on their first one because it's a new market. But this has been very uh, interesting because, uh, you know, having hundreds of people asking those questions in Telegram and on Slack and on all, all kinds of Slack uh, uh, chat, uh, chats, Kakao talk from Korea, you have learned a lot about the, the users. And those those people are actually the the people that buy buy the tokens, but also become our members. And um, once they buy them, uh, buy them, uh, they immediately get that into their wallet because it's an ERC-20 20 tokens, so mm. they have that immediately. And then our job is, of course, to make the, make the platform um, available as soon as possible. Of course, everybody understands that this is one of the biggest projects um, of a, one of the biggest industries but um, that's why we chose it because it uh, it is a challenge and uh, once you get successful you get very successful you know mobile data market worldwide is uh, 32 billion dollars per month i don't think yeah, it's slowing right. down and here it's, and, it's, <laughs> and, it's, and it's growing it's it's yeah. growing um, it's growing uh, and the data packages are going down so so one thing i wanted to to um, tell you is if you if you go to the about us on our, on the uh, www.bendcoin.com uh, about us. Um, we have quite a knowledge on the telco market, and let me explain what the, what Rainer Deutschmann, our partner and advisor on the telco telco matters, uh, did. He uh, went from from Deutsche Telekom, uh, which is the mothership of uh, T-Mobile, here in Germany. He went from a very high management position. Uh, um, to India to launch a 4G carrier with a 25 billion euros or 28 million a billion dollar investment, um, which one of the the biggest corporations there launched, and they started uh, last September with zero users, and they reached 100 million users in six months. And, uh, you know, that's faster than any Facebook or anybody else uh, in that kind of a growth. And they disrupted the whole Indian market, which has 1.3 billion people, so that the other telcos now have to merge uh, because they are not any more profitable. The data price sank 80%. And um, one of their, their features that they did was data transportability. So, so normally you buy a prepaid card and um, you know it's kind of physical you have some kind of a code but there it's just a, it's it's just a wallet in your phone it's not on blockchain but it's just on your uh, uh, on your phone and you can send that to somebody else if they need data and um, blockchain is much much more intelligent because we can have the, the data packages defined as smart contracts we can have the activation of a data package as a smart contract and, uh, and the whole marketplace will work on smart contracts. So, so it's fully transparent. 
and the pricing of the data packages. So if you sell, if you sell your used data, uh, your five gigabytes, which is, has an expiry of let's say uh, a week, if you sell that uh, and compare it to a to a telco package which has thirty days and maybe higher uh, higher quality because it's a business package, you can sell that really affordably. Hmm. You can you can dump the price maybe to twenty percent of the original price, but you still you still uh, feed the people that want to have have that data. And maybe somebody needs just for a week. So a guy comes from Italy to the States and, uh, and, and needs that package. The other thing, uh, what, we, what we said is that there's a quite big inequality on, in the world of, of uh, uh, internet connectivity and mobile connectivity. And we said that actually it would be cool for us that, that live in the, in the, in the you know, wealthy countries that we could, we could actually help the poor or the developing country, the people that don't have money to buy buy expensive data, that we would here uh, donate my five gigabytes and and uh, make it available for for an African or an Indian uh, region. So that way, it also also generates maybe new customers for the local telcos there. But we can feed that that value, and because dentistry. Uh, currency, then it's quite easy to handle. Yeah, that's uh, it's all great stuff, and I'm going to put in the show notes on the article, um, you know, where people can find you and where they can find more information about the token. And uh, you know, I can't speak for Corey, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be successful, no hmm. doubt. Yeah, it's a it's a big project, but we we like these projects uh, where we can change things, and uh, and uh, doing a boring project is uh, is boring. Doing it. Yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> definitely doing true. Exciting, exciting project, which, which maybe in, in in a few years then shows that hey, we, we could really change something in the world for the better. Then then while while doing great business, of course, uh, it's great. I also feel like you mm-hmm. felt a market that isn't going to slow down or change anytime soon. So like the, the the need for mobile data will continue to rise, and making Absolutely. sure that it's a little more democratic and how people get that data is certainly a difficult but worthwhile challenge. And I, I guess I wish you, to, I hope you the best. And, and I'm I'm talking to you over LTE here in, in Vodafone Germany because it's it's much faster and better quality than 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 the Wi-Fi from a cable operator. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Or, or the cable, cable plus Wi-Fi. Yeah. So yeah. Any any other questions? Uh, I wanted to hit you with one last question, and uh, it typically be it's it's one that kind of our guests stumble on. But uh, in, in ten words or less, could you explain the blockchain? Well, I think it's quite it's quite simple. Um, it's actually very simple from uh, from the principles that you have just a just a ledger. Where you, where you uh, mark all your transactions, and what I like, what I like about it is that everything, everything remains there. Nobody can fraud you. But on the other hand, um, um, you know, I come from a transaction background, uh, running millions of people on their emails. I'm wondering, what are the the developers thinking that they can they can really change industries with 15 transactions per second, right? Right. Um, so just hello to Vitalik. Uh, uh, get some more performance into it, then it will be great. <laughs> uh, you know, we are we are running two and a half million transactions per second on on our email clients. Um, 
and and that, that it's a big problem, of course, because everybody you have that this network and uh, and um, it's maybe not easy to solve, but let's see. It's definitely a hard problem, but once again, it's it's worth it's worth it's worth trying to solve. But I think but I think uh, the feeling going back to our beginning, what we found ahead of us when we found HTML, you know. We created HTML products, and I, I, I won awards of um, best of best of show at the Seabold Publishing 1997 um, because we had a great HTML product. I think we are in the same phase uh, of the next uh, next generation of uh, internet while it becomes transactional. Mm-hmm. And the interesting for all the vendors is that transactional means money. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So it's not it's not anymore just making a a web page for somebody it's making a business for somebody and and that's why that's why i think the future definitely uh, or part of the future at least uh, belongs to blockchain and you see already disruption happening in banks disruption ha- happening in in other industries of course many are still experimental but i think this is the one one major uh, milestone of software um, it's not all. It's not all great yet, but I think once everybody uh, you know improves it and the community, uh, open source community, and everybody who works hard on it, it will be eventually great. Right on. All right. Anything else? That's it. I think that's a great way to wrap this up. And uh, Mika, we'd like to thank you for coming on the show, and can't wait to see how things work out for you. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, great. Uh, thanks for having me. And. Uh, I wish you guys a great day. You too. Thanks.